0: Here at 11FS headquarters in WeWork, London, for episode 12 of Blockchain Insider. Today, we have a series of interviews from Blockchain Live, but first, I do a one man mini news roundup because at Colin G. Platt, well, he's travelling. And of course, I speak to the founders of EOS, the token sale that raised $150 million in a matter of weeks. On with the news. Okay, I'm going to try and make it through a new segment all by myself. You can play a violin here, Michael, if you like. Uh, On this week's news, we have the ongoing saga that is China and regulation. We have people issuing smart contracts for flight insurance, and they're a real insurance company. And Jamie Dimon, of course, gets a new enemy. Who's that enemy going to be? Oh, and don't forget, Jamie Foxx as well. What's that about? We'll find out in a second. Well, so the first story up is BTCC, the Bitcoin exchange, the most famous Bitcoin exchange in China, is about to cease trading. And it's ceasing trading on the back of a whole bunch of uh, announcements that come out in the last couple of weeks. As regular listeners will know, the Chinese authorities first banned the ICO or initial coin offering where somebody can raise funds without going through the VC route. But then uh, they've gone on to ban every type of Bitcoin exchange, it seems, every exchange activity. Uh, So we've seen a number of regulatory responses and exchange responses from this. Uh, It seems that the uh, CEOs of various exchanges initially came out and said, we don't think any of this is happening. We don't think it's real. And then there was uh, reports that, yes, no, it really is real. And lo and behold, it all seems to be happening. The latest rumor coming out of the same people who brought us the initial rumors about ICOs being banned and the rumors about the exchanges being forced to shut is that mining activity itself for Bitcoin will be banned, which is really important because, bear in mind, On average, around 60% of all Bitcoin mining activity takes place in China. And most of you will know, of course, that mining is the equivalent to payments processing uh, in Bitcoin. So whomever is doing the mining is essentially adding transactions to the Bitcoin network in return for Bitcoins. So this could really shake up the shape of the whole Bitcoin ecosystem and marketplace Interesting that since these announcements, Bitcoin hit a real low point. After having hit $5,000, it dropped closer just below $3,000, recovered to around $4,000 as we record this on the 19th. Uh, But it looks like uh, the market is really shifting. Because global regulators uh, like the FCA and Dubai and others, and even the SEC, are striking a much different tone. The SEC recently announced guidance saying, of course, that This ICO space, if it looks like a security, we're going to want to regulate it like a security. But we do recognize a difference between something that's a security and something that's an app token. And these app tokens are really interesting. The Chinese haven't gone that way, but the SEC, the former boogeyman regulator, has recognized that. What a strange world we find ourselves in. Uh, Contrast this, of course, with Japan, which has said Bitcoin is pretty much legal. uh, And Japan now makes up 50% of all Bitcoin usage. And trading, uh, according to some stats I saw recently. Uh, so this is uh, a huge variety in regulatory approaches we're seeing. This this just wages on, and I'm sure we'll have more on that later this week. Okay, throwing right back to myself for the next story. There's a company called AXA, which many of you in Europe will have heard of. AXA, a famous insurance company, are using Ethereum for flight insurance. So I like this one. Uh, AXA have launched an app called Fizzy, which is an interesting name. Um, Stick it into Google, have a look at Fizzy. The idea here is that the uh, smart contract itself makes a decision on, is a customer indemnified for flight insurance? So let's say you have a flight that's two hours late and more than two hours late you would be eligible for insurance claims on that flight but somebody at the insurance company has to make the decision whether or not you're eligible well wouldn't it be great if a piece of software was doing that Well, it turns out getting all of the flight information and getting that verified from various different places is quite difficult. So to have a really nice smart contract that can make that decision on your behalf and on behalf of AXA, in this case, the insurance company, is really interesting. We'll reach out to AXA to find out more on this. But what I like about this is it's a real world use case. I can imagine people using it. And there's a consumer brand. You don't get this a lot in the blockchain space. It's buying or selling cryptocurrencies, or it's really hard to understand uh, stuff that's happening in capital markets. But Fizzy, this seems like one that my mum, my dad, anybody, any of your friends would potentially use, and they wouldn't even know there's a smart contract in the background. And that, that's the stuff I like. Next story, John McAfee challenges Jamie Dimon. So John McAfee, of course, some of you will have heard of this guy if you have McAfee antivirus on your computer. This is a very interesting chap. If any of you have seen the documentary Gringo on Netflix, this is a guy who, after becoming a multimillionaire from the antivirus startup he built, he became a yoga cult leader, then he also became a libertarian presidential candidate in the U.S. And now he's the self-styled voice of Bitcoin itself. Here's what he had to say to
1: Jamie Dimon. People are calling Bitcoin a bubble that's bursting. Now, keep in mind that two months ago, Bitcoin was at $2,900 and people were saying it's never going to hit three. Well, it hit four and it hit five. If you look at the, at the long term trend of Bitcoin, it has been consistently up. I mean, who cares that it dropped $1,000 from 5000 after it went from the $2,900 to 5000 in two months? It's still ahead from what it was two months ago. You know, I've, I've, my, my company is one of the largest miners in America. And one of the nice thing about mining is it doesn't matter what the price of Bitcoin is. We still make money. As the, as the price goes down, there are fewer competitors for mining. Uh, And the the difficulty rate decreases and we simply mine more coins. So I I know, as, as well as anybody what the price of bitcoin is and it is consistently increasing
2: I understand oh
1: wow the bubbles burst Uh, go ahead
2: you know Jamie Dimon was very clear yesterday that he's a big fan of the blockchain technology and most people actually who who even uh... you know call bitcoin overvalued or what have you they are believers as well in the blockchain technology these are two separate issues so why is that bitcoin necessarily has to rise to these heights because you're a believer in blockchain as you do
1: as you believe well no I don't think I don't think that the That the Bitcoin rise has anything to do with the belief in the blockchain. It simply has to do with the belief in in cryptocurrencies. I mean, once you start using cryptocurrencies, whether it's uh, uh, Bitcoin or Monero or Litecoin, it doesn't really matter. You see the facility. You see the ease of use. You see that without a central bank control, the value of that currency depends upon the users of that currency. And why is Bitcoin growing so fast? Because it's getting more users. More people are believing. If if I do a transaction with a credit card, I have to put in my name, my address, my credit card number, the code on the back, my billing address. Well, that takes five or ten minutes, especially for someone my age. But with Bitcoin, it's 15 seconds. Give me a wallet address, here's the amount. Done. Once you see the facility of cryptocurrencies, once you see how fast they are transacted, then suddenly fiat currencies, credit cards, Central banks. Maybe, make maybe no it's
0: sense well, as you can see, John has some views about how uh, the world is run today and how the world could be run. Uh, it's interesting that Laura Shin over in Forbes also wrote an open letter to Jamie Diamond. Jamie Diamond, of course, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, as we mentioned in the last couple of weeks, had come out and said Bitcoin is very, very bad, um, and he would like to see it end. And of course, uh, this seems like there's a bit of a fight back coming from well some interesting places. The next story up is a bit of a double header. Uh, Vitalik Buterin, uh, many of you will know, is the uh, founder and creator of the Ethereum protocol. Ethereum now worth somewhere in the $20 billion mark as a a network, absolutely massive. But uh, around December 2013 was just an idea on a YouTube video. Um, He came out and said that we are definitely in an ICO bubble. I think there's a really interesting quote in TechCrunch where he says, I think we are in a bubble because cryptocurrency are rising and people have a feeling that they will continue to always rise. A lot of projects are raising money that they wouldn't be able to do in a normal VC market. This market's still young and still people don't know how to differentiate between projects that will exist in the long term and those that won't. This thing is growing at a rate that makes it hard control. And Vitalik also says he doesn't participate in most ICOs because he thinks they're done and too high valuations which for the father of Ethereum to say is pretty interesting but he also says don't forget that Ethereum itself was an ICO. This is a new way for projects that would never get funded to get funded and a new way for things to get built. He says don't write this off. Very interesting idea. The second part of this story is very recently at TechCrunch Disrupt Vitalik was interviewed the headline goes uh, that ETH will be fast enough to compete with Visa in two years. Now, fast enough and will compete with Visa, I think needs unpicking. Let's have a listen to what Vitalik actually said.
3: And how far along are we? How, how long until you think that uh, maybe we can scale to, uh, as you said, hundreds of concurrent
4: users? How many until we can replace Visa? How many until we can replace AWS? I mean, first, things like Visa, I think, uh, definitely, uh, I'll say a couple of years. So maybe one year when we start seeing like prototypes that have you know like a low security level but are still you know secure enough for like major organizations to start just doing proof of concepts on. And a couple more years for all these solutions to really hit the mainstream. For I mean AWS is a trickier one because like there are reasons why blockchains are you know no matter how good they are never going to completely replace uh, centralized cloud computing and probably even more one of the big ones well there's probably two big ones in my opinion. One big one is that there are computations that are intensive and that are hard to parallelize. So decentralized clouds are really good at parallelization because you know it's like Uber for your laptop, you know. You got you got millions of computers from, you know, millions of countries, millions of providers all ranging all from individual laptops to, you know, you can you can think of, you know, even cloud computing companies basically turning into like specialized mining farms inside of the system. But if you have uh, computations that require like a really large amount of serial computation, then that's harder to decentralize. And the second really tough one is privacy, right? Like if you have computations on private data, then there's basically two approaches. One of them is to make sure the computations are only done on hardware that you trust. And the second one is to use fancy cryptography. So, you know, you, you might've heard of buzzwords like homomorphic encryption and distinguishability obfuscation to do the computations. But, the, or, but then if you do that, then those tends to carry very serious some computational efficiency trade-offs.
0: As ever, some interesting points from Vitalik. Certainly a sign that there's no lack of ambition in the Ethereum project, but also for all those people that say that the uh, technology can't scale and things are too slow, maybe that's just a snapshot of where we are now. Over 5-10 years, will these things get faster? Yes. Can they find a business model and can they find a market? I think the jury's out on that one. Okay, this last story comes from our friend Anna Herrera over in Reuters. And this uh, talks about R3, which is the consortium of many, many banks. And, of course, the UK regulator have teamed up on blockchain-based mortgage reporting. So if you think this sounds like rock and roll, well, to some people, it really is. Um, the Royal Bank of Scotland and another global bank, which did not wish to be named, uh, have built uh, a system on Corda that enables people, the regulator to get automated reports each time a mortgage is booked. Now... If any of you have ever seen the big short, knowing when a mortgage has been booked, knowing how much a mortgage is worth, knowing how many times it has been onward sold is actually quite difficult and many believe may have even caused a financial crisis. So this report that a regulator can see what's happening in the mortgage market in real time on the quarter platform has a lot more to it than first meets the eye. I think this is a truly, truly interesting story and I want to congratulate both RBS and R3 for being involved. Now, this is, of course, just a prototype, but the ability for a regulator to have a new tool to oversee mortgage activity, uh, I think reducing those data inconsistencies is super key. Friend of the show, uh, Richard Crook, often talks about the regulator being a man with two clocks. He will get the time from one organization and the time from another organization, but like a man with two clocks, he can't tell the time. So if you had five different people telling you what they thought the truth was, and those five different people disagreed with them, and your name was the regulator, you're gonna struggle. So it's an interesting one for sure. We'll keep watching this one closely. I wanna see this one get out of prototype and become a reality. And I'm going to leave us on a fun one. Uh, Jamie Foxx has promoted a currency exchange initial coin offering. I ain't saying he'd be a gold digger, but these celebrity ICO things just have to stop. Okay, before we get to our interviews at Blockchain Live, I just want to remind you that if you disagree with anything we've said in these stories, in this case, I've said in these stories because hey, uh, it's just been me today, get in touch on Twitter at bchaininsider. That's the letter B, Chain Insider, and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. 11FS, the company that brings you this podcast, are a challenger agency who help banks, financial service providers, and even governments achieve more with digital and more with blockchain and DLT. Next, I spoke to Dan Larimer and Brendan Blummer from Block One, famous for the EOS project. So we are here at Blockchain Live, and I have the uh, main title sponsors, one of the headline acts, of course. Uh, the guys from Block One, Brendan Blumer and Dan Larimer. Brendan, how are you, sir? Very well. How are you? Uh, and Dan, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Great to have you here. First, I want to get into your respective stories. How did you get to be in Block One, and uh, what is Block One? Uh, Brendan, if you want to start us off
3: one is uh, We like to say it's a publishing company of decentralized autonomous corporations. Uh, we think that DAX, a properly constructed DAX, is very similar to a big online video game in ways, in the sense that you take the time to build a proper technological framework, combine that with a community, and it produces positive externalities. In the case of video games, you're looking at something like entertainment, but with DAX, you're looking at real-world provisions of goods and service or problems
0: problem-solving. I like the word. What about yourself, Dan?
3: I got into the uh, cryptocurrency
2: industry very early as I was trying to come up with a decentralized currency. Uh, My mission in life is to find free market solutions for securing life, liberty, and property. And blockchain technology is the core technology behind almost every solution in that range. So I've been in the industry for a while. I've done several projects, including BitShares, which is a decentralized exchange. Uh, and Steam, which is the decentralized social media where you get paid to post. And Steam being the first blockchain that's so easy to use you don't even realize you're using a blockchain. So that's what I've been doing and I recently uh, joined up with Block One for the purpose of generalizing technology to allow other people to build things like BitShares and Steam.
0: So what problem do you guys solve fundamentally?
3: Well, there's a a large gap, and there has been a gap, between what we know this technology is capable of and what we can actually do with the existing platforms. Uh, If you take a look at platforms like Bitcoin and Ethereum, while they have introduced the concept of peer-to-peer value transfer, um, we're we're really limited in throughput performance and the cost of these machines. If you're looking at a single day uh, at about four transactions a second, uh, you know, Ethereum's paying about six million U.S. dollars for mining. So that puts us at about 17 U.S. dollars per transaction before additional fees, right? With four transactions per second. The problem is, is smart contracts are expensive and hard to build. And so you need large amounts of volume to monetize them. And how can you get started and really roll something out when you don't even have the throughput on the networks to monetize the effort that went in in the first place? Makes complete sense. Dan.
2: Yeah, I'd like to answer the
3: same question.
2: The fundamental problem we're trying to solve as a society is consensus. In, in the past, consensus it happens every year at your political elections. Or maybe you have consensus when a judge makes a decision. It's a very slow process. But with blockchains, we can reach consensus every single minute. And what we're trying to do with blockchain technology is take it down so every second you can reach consensus. And we can reach consensus that quickly on about all matters of things. It facilitates faster financial transactions. You have greater certainties. Uh, and so it's, it's all about, as a human race, how can we come to an agreement on something when we all see things from very different perspectives?
0: I think people often complain about the blockchain not being fast enough, not being cheap enough. And so to have a project trying to address that makes a lot of sense. But you guys raised an awful lot of money when it comes to uh, the whole token generation event, token sale. Um, you've raised nearly $500 million in total now, I believe. Why do you need that much money?
3: Well, it all comes down to what you're trying to achieve. So, in uh, you know, uh, in the past, we would say, "Okay, here's our business model. Here's our budget. We need this amount of money, and you'd go ahead and raise for it." But this industry works a little bit differently because we need to preserve the integrity of distribution. When we set out to uh, you know build the right type of community, we said what does it take to build that the best community to have the most distributed network how much would bitcoin be worth if it was distributed in twenty minutes for ten million dollars right probably nothing so you have to prioritize one or the other and what we've done is we're building a community which is it scales infinitely right and so the amount of capital that we've taken in reflects the size of the community that we've built and uh... we're planning ways um, you know in order to, to share that capital with Uh, the people that um, are are in a position to influence the space um, so that we can grow the ecosystem, uh, not just on the technological level, but foster the innovation that's going to drive the adoption of the software.
2: The distribution of a token is incredibly important for decentralization of control. If you have too much power concentrated in too few hands, then the system's not actually decentralized, and the people who have that undue influence can might have different interests than everyone else. But when you have everyone more evenly distributed, then that actually contributes directly to the decentralization. And that's incredibly important in proof-of-stake systems where the tokens influence your control over the system.
0: So the tokens influence control, but who's holding these tokens? If you guys have $500 million, how are you incentivizing the community to, to work with that?
3: So the tokens. It's good to understand, you know, what the tokens represent. So, block one uh, is an independent publisher. Um, if you look at it from the, s- the standpoint of Microsoft and publishing Windows, right? Uh, You would create and launch Windows, and Microsoft owned that technology, and they still own it today, and they still monetize it. Whereas, uh, if you take a look at something like EOS, during the course of this distribution, we passed the control and beneficial interest in that project over to the community from day one. Um, And so what people are buying into when they're buying a token, they're buying into a community, and they're um, operating under the assumption that that community is going to produce more value than what they're putting in.
0: So if I'm a token holder, I am essentially seeing an ability to uh, use those tokens to do something. But can you make that real for me? Like, what are people building using EOS? Like, what can I do with those?
2: One of the products we introduced as as software that the block producers that the community can run is the ability to do storage, decentralized YouTube, uh, where for the first time, you don't have to pay monthly fees to store and host your website, just by having tokens the community will host your website for you with high bandwidth, high availability. And decentralized YouTube. is just one aspect of it. You can create decentralized exchanges. Basically, these tokens give you the ability to consume limited resources, the storage, computational and bandwidth restrictions because everyone collectively is producing that and contributing to it. Block One is not the one providing these services. We create the software that enables the community to provide services to each other.
3: Mm And, and that's a key distinction between securities and non-securities. And that's also what allows us to build a true decentralized autonomous organization. EOS is really one of the first projects um, you know, released in recent years that has actually has no dependency on any centralized entity, individual, or even a foundation. Very interesting.
0: So how does that decentralized entity stay disciplined and make decisions? Because it now has an awful lot of value. You have a community there. What does that governance process really look like?
2: Well, on EOS, the the token holders, they select block producers, 20 or more block producers, and they kind of direct which direction the, the blockchain's going to go. They can also elect what we call community benefit contracts. These are special smart contracts that can define their own governance processes and permissions, and they receive the authority to distribute new tokens, and those new tokens can fund development. Each and every day, Bitcoin and Ethereum are spending five to ten million dollars on burning electricity we create a decentralized organization that allows the community to funnel those resources back into grow the resources and sort of storage computation or anything else that they might
0: want to do like rewarding posts on Steam. 500 million dollars for a decentralized organization is a lot in real fiat money how, how is the governance around how that fiat money is managed and distributed? So we've talked about the tokens, but what, what about the fiat side of that?
2: The, the money we take in is revenue to block one. Yep. And we're using it to grow the interest and in, of our shareholders of block one.
3: And, and that, that's an important distinguish to understand our business model. That said, um, you know, we'll be announcing very shortly uh, how we plan to use that capital to reinvest into the ecosystem to grow it. We are going to, you know, we maintain a stake in, in the tokens and for a long period of time over 10 years and so we're heavily invested um, and you know, we're big believers that you know the 10% of tokens we hold in the long run are likely going to be worth much greater than what we take in from this token sale over the next year. What you're going to hear pretty soon is how we're spending that money not to necessarily just build the tech. You're right. We can't spend $500 million laying the, the rails of this technology, but what we can do is take that $500 million and put it in the hands of people that are working with the entrepreneurs now, start exposing the product, building the ecosystem. And what we're actually doing is we're diverting, like Dan said, the resources that would normally go to burning more electricity than small countries to process nominal amount of transactions per second. And we're circulating that back to the innovators. Right now, you've got uh, 95% of the capital going to almost none of the innovation, right? Consumed by these large projects that are essentially uncapped daily ICOs on, on, a, on a daily basis, $20 million a day. I believe that we need to change this. Can you imagine it back in the internet era when, uh, you know, if we were taking in $20, $30 million a day, if we were burning 80% of it, And so a project like EOS has the capacity to take that in, reinvest it into the ecosystem, potentially even leverage it up through additional uh, financing sources, and then drive unprecedented amounts or drive this amount of capital back to the entrepreneurs who are really creating the innovation in this space.
0: It makes a lot of sense. Gentlemen, I could talk to you all afternoon. Unfortunately, we're up against it on time, but where can people find out more about the EOS projects and what you do at at Block One?
2: You can uh, visit our website at eos.io. And sign up for our mailing list to stay up to date of all the latest
3: events. Yes. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you, thank
0: gentlemen. You. Thank you very much to Dan and to Brendan. A very exciting project the Block One guys have. And of course, EOS has done really quite well. Uh, next, I spoke to Eva Kaili, the MEP coming from the European Parliament, looking at all things blockchain. Uh, over to me. We are back here at Blockchain Live, and I have the wonderful good fortune of being joined by Eva Kaili, who's an MEP, uh, Minister of the European Parliament, and you wear many other hats. Eva, thank you for being on the show. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are and and, uh, some of the things you do?
5: Thank you very much for inviting me, and congratulations, because you have identified a very interesting field that people need to hear more about and be educated also through your your podcast. So, I think it's really important. I'm a member of the European Parliament, I'm elected from Greece, so I represent Greece, but also I'm working with the Parliament of Europe. I'm working more on the Econ Committee, which means economics, banking, taxation, and uh, I'm chairing the Science and Technology Committee, and this is how I'm more involved with the blockchain technology and how it can be applied into different sectors and change our lives in industry, economy, finance, and everything.
0: Super interesting. Bunch of subjects to be interested there. I'm sure you have an exciting day today. So science and technology, finance and economy, and blockchain. How do those things fit together and where do you think we're at in the development of this subject?
5: Well, basically, I think a blockchain, I see blockchain as an infrastructure, so like internet, this means I can see it uh, having applications in any field. So, of course, also finance and industry, energy, even for uh, climate change. So I can can, uh, see uh, a lot of ideas here, but I understand that uh, still we are Talking about the technology that it's under development, so I think we're going to see more on blockchain and uh, since there are some problems that we identified uh, uh, through these applications I think they're going to be solved and we're going to have user-friendly applications that uh, will make people easy to use, they will regain trust to the technology and maybe back to the finance sector also.
0: Fantastic. So you talk about the difficulty to use some of these technologies and maybe they're still quite early, uh, maybe they're still quite fragmented. How how do you think uh, a body like the European Parliament can help foster that innovation and uh, what do you see the next couple of years looking like?
5: Well, first of all, this is a technology that it's more easy to develop in countries that they don't have yet all the infrastructure that they need on new technologies because then you don't have resistance from the old system and how it works. One of the problems in Europe is that, so we have to change our thinking. You have to think out of the box, you have to replace old business models with new business models. So this takes more time. If you build from scratch, it's more easy because you can start in this infrastructure. Besides that, though, I see that uh, us in the Parliament and the Commission, we are very supportive of this technology, which is, uh, I think, extremely positive if you see how it's being treated by, for example, China, and there is no stability for people that want to develop this innovation. So I think in Europe you have a more positive approach. I think uh, sooner or later we're going to have my resolution that I'm drafting, we're going to have the Commission's Observatory taking place. This means we're going to have a more official uh, legislation or direction of uh, legislation. This means, I think, uh, it will give you some stability and uh, maybe we can attract uh, companies, even from the US, that they find it difficult there to work with the regulation and they might find it more easy to come in the EU.
0: It's very true that the EU has actually quite a clear regulatory framework. Uh, It it often takes longer to forge the regulations, but once they're there, it's fairly simple that there's one obvious set of rules that that everybody can follow. Uh, So how do you think about some of the uh, challenges that uh, those companies face? You mentioned that the lack of clarity coming from other jurisdictions is one, um, and that we're building new business models as as two. What do they need to be given, and and what's what's really missing uh, from their perspective, do you think?
5: Well, I will just mention one thing. So I think we have first to work more on the digital single market. So unless Europe is one market where you can have, you can be based anywhere in Europe and refer to the whole European Union, this is still some time you know ahead to progress because we're working on that, but we're not there yet. We have geo-blocking, we have some problems to solve. We have to lift barriers. But because the Internet face no borders, we have to be fast, and I think this would help more the technology to develop. Uh, Other problems is, of course, the interpretation of legislation, because we have different legal systems, different taxation systems. Um, The truth is that these smart people that develop these applications, they manage because we have a stable uh, legislation. To go around it and find the field and the space that they can develop it without um, being stopped by it. So this is very interesting, this makes them very smart and flexible and creative. I I do believe that if we had something uh, more balanced and uh, European maybe direction, this would help them even more to feel more safe and uh, be more creative.
0: It's interesting that if I wanted to do an initial coin offering, I'm having to look at Zug Switzerland as being kind of the home of those. And If I'm looking at, I think, what an executive views this space there's still a view very much that it's Bitcoin and it's all very bad unless it's done and comes from the banks. Do you think that that view is changing? And what can you do to keep changing that view that these cryptocurrencies or or this whole area of innovation is is bad?
5: Well, first of all, this is the point of view of ECB, the central bank, which is normal, because if you take some control uh, outside of the central bank, uh, this makes them a bit, uh, I would say, anxious. Uh, But this is not the approach of the Parliament or the Commission. We are more positive of the currencies because it talks about the transaction of value with less fees. The hidden costs are like billions of euros in the European Union for the banks. And if we manage to save money and it's good for the citizens, we will be supportive of the technology as long, of course, as it's safe. And it's not super volatile because this is one of our problems at the time being. So, uh, one main thing is that I would say that ECB cannot uh, give you directions on the legislation. They can make suggestions, they can give us their opinion, but they don't form the the regulations and the legislation on innovation or fintech. We had the PSD2, we allow fintech to to flourish in Europe, and uh, we also have the decision of the European Court of Justice that uh, treats virtual currencies and cryptocurrencies as currencies, so they're tax exempted. And ECB does not agree, but as as I said before, this is not uh, the case. So
0: if I'm an innovator and I'm looking to get support from the European Parliament and some of the outreach and some of the work that's being done there, is there anywhere I can go to find out more about the work you're doing?
5: Yes. So now uh, the tender is almost over for European Observatory on Blockchain. We also are developing a forum for blockchain. We're going to do some hearings and some summits, co-organized or separately the Parliament and the Commission. So the next year, you're going to find a lot of events in Brussels and the Parliament, at the side of the Commission or the Parliament, of course. And uh, it's going to be public. Most of it it can be also web streamed, uh, because we have to listen to the market, we have to listen to the academia, the universities, and uh, try to see how we can make it more safe for users, because whenever there is a hype, there, there is also potential fraud. And there are people that want to take advantage of this technology to make money. And then, of course, they make it less credible by their actions. So we have to make sure it's protected, but not stopped.
0: Absolutely. Eva, thank you so much for being on Blockchain Insider.
5: Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope to hear from you again.
0: Look forward to it. A big thank you to everyone we interviewed today. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes and spread the word. Tell everyone you know to listen to. Tell them all. Why not? We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week. But for now, goodbye.